Hey folks, welcome to Getting Apps Done, a mostly non-technical podcast about building software. Last week, I, Joshua, spoke about niching down. Uh, it was just me because I screwed up and I didn't hit the record button. I've now checked <laughs> at least eight times that I have checked the record button, so we're recording this week, and I've got Kel with me this week as well. Yep, I am actually here today. Well, I was here last time and my recording happened and yeah. kind of disappeared into the other. Kel was here. You Kel think? actually recorded. I do have Kel's side of the uh, conversation, so I guess we could have posted that, but I think it would have been a little bit awkward <laughs> with the pauses in between. I could have played some nice music just, in between or something like that. We could glue today's to that one and then just see what happens. Yeah, that could be interesting. Anyway, or not. <laughs> uh, after the episode, while I was talking about niching down, uh, again, just to recap, Niching down is focusing on a particular industry or a particular group of people when you are doing your marketing. Now, I was talking about this in general terms uh, regarding developers and how we market ourselves as freelancers, as people who are looking for jobs, who have built products that we want to sell, whatever it might be, because developers do all those things. Mm -hmm. uh, but the immediate feedback was that uh, some people were struggling to see how that applies directly to actually just going out and getting a job. Because in most cases, that's probably what you're doing. There are plenty of freelancers. There are plenty of people building products. But I would say most developers are probably just trying to get a job. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. That seems like an important part of that, that discussion since, you know, talking about jobs and how applying yourself to doing a particular type of job might lead to more. Yeah, that seems relevant. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're a bit odd on that, isn't that we actually or at least in my case, I did not go from like manufacturing job to manufacturing job. I went from manufacturing job to healthcare. And so there was a bit of a, a carryover of things. But while in the manufacturing space, there was a lot of job hopping within the same kind of zone, I guess. So, you know, we started on help desk doing, des you know, basic support. But then during that time there, I was able to go onto sites and talk to, to people about the machines that are running the assembly lines and all that kind of fun stuff. So there's a lot that happened during those first few years. Yeah. I will say I, mine actually was a little bit more traditional. I started out uh, working on a contract for Boeing, and then I moved to Federal Mogul, who uh, at mm. the time owned Moog and Champion Spark plugs and things like that. And then I transitioned into uh, 3M after that, I think. So again, oh, more manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, the local plants uh, were either manufacturing medication or sandpaper. I don't know why those <laughs> two in particular, but that's what we did around here. Uh, and then I sounds, went into... Uh, yeah. British steam suppliers who actually manufacture and supply piping and things like that for plumbers. So I really was in manufacturing for a long time. One of the key things I found with that was that as I went from role to role, it was really easy for me to talk to new people who were interviewing me. Mm -hmm. Going into the interview, I felt comfortable because they were still talking about the same sort of things. They still had the same problems as everywhere else because every shop floor is like another shop floor. One of the things that did carry over uh, a niche that carried over through all these things was workflow for me. So I, you know, did manufacturing and a lot of what I did in the manufacturing was kind of infrastructure stuff like taking, you know, the, the software that allowed sales folks to be, you know, out and about and still be able to transaction, you know, send their sales to the, the helm office and do things. I didn't necessarily work on the software. I worked on the, the glue, the infrastructure. So all the VPN stuff. And then I worked on like workflowy stuff of, you know, how do you apply these things? Everything from an expense report to a sale to whatever. And so when I moved into healthcare, that's actually what I ended up doing was workflow software. <laughs> and so that is kind of my niche because that 
was my very first contract job as well as a freelancer was doing, well, I guess second job as a freelancer for them, um, was doing workflow software, setting up a large infrastructure for deploying software and deploying these packages for demo systems and doing this ridiculously complex thing. Um, but those that was kind of my niche and my niche was a little bit of cross-platform. But the workflow itself and talking about workflows and how and all the problems that kind of go along with that, which I don't really want to turn this entire podcast into a discussion of, so I might not go too technical. <laughs> um, but there is an entire like language and structure and patterns that are very much like programming patterns on how you accomplish these things, what the common problems are, how you deal with parallelism, like all of the normal, and it's basically programming problems, but just kind of scaled up a couple layers. And so those being able to talk to that in kind of any situation, just being able to walk into a place and go, oh, no, yeah, that's the problem. These are the types of solutions that you can use. And the, oh, I've seen that kind of problem thing before is really useful. Um, and in this case, we're kind of talking more about development. And so going from, you know, man knowing manufacturing floors and being able to tie that to development is very helpful. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think the key word there is problems. And that is mm -hmm. a lot of what niching down is about is understanding that target well enough to know what their problems are. And as we said before, it doesn't have to be a particular industry. In Cal's case, it was actually the process management, defining these right. processes and what that flow was, but also <laughs> understanding what the problems with those are, what's likely to crop up, because that's going to be one of the first things you're asked in any interview is tell me an example of this. And if you've worked in that industry before, or if you've worked with that particular, in Cal's case, workflows and processes, mm -hmm you can give concrete examples that are going to make sense to them. And that's a big deal because if you go from industry to accounting and they ask you, well, how did you deal with this? And you're talking about something that happened on a shop floor and accountants just going to play, what? We don't do anything and like that. And vice versa. Absolutely. <laughs> because the problem sets are completely different. And while the solutions might actually be very similar and you might be able to do both of them equally well, having that really great example of something that they can relate mm -hmm. to is hugely advantageous and that is that's probably one of the biggest things about niching whether it is that you are trying to do freelance jobs or trying to sell a product or trying to get a job mm -hmm. understanding their problem set and being able to give concrete examples of how you have helped other people who are very similar to them mm -hmm. is that's definitely going to get you much further than anybody else is going to get and that's a pretty good callback. We've talked about um, communication and context, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. If you go into a place that is filled with other, say, accountants, you're an accountant, they're an accountant, you can talk shop. You're, you share a lot of context. It's really easy to trade information and to trade problems and solutions because you share a lot of the same words and the same contexts. And that definitely applies to an interview situation. Like, that's no different than you know, getting drinks at a bar and talking to somebody about the work you do and how the things and the problems that you know how to solve. Um, but if you're doing this in an interview situation, you probably should be a little bit more formal, a little bit more, <laughs> a little less drunk. Um, but it's wow. more or less the same. Yeah. So it's more or less the same process, though. You are just exchanging information. You're showing people what you know, the problems you can solve, how you can help them. And that's a whole lot easier if you speak the same language. You Absolutely. know, you use the same acronyms, you know, the same like common problems of, the, of this, this context. You mentioned professional. I was reading something the other day asking if suits have gone out now. <laughs> and actually, I found that quite interesting because in the market they were in, where they were talking to a lot of startups and things like that, if you walk in in a suit, they're looking at you like you're a freak or mm -hmm. you're, one of those, yeah, so I'm in you're one of those corpy people. You shouldn't be worth here at all. 
Whereas if you walk into a manufacturing or an accounting office, they're kind of going to expect you to come suited and booted. Mm -hmm. If it's manufacturing, they probably aren't expecting you to be in a fancy suit, but they want you in a suit anyway. Yeah, we've we've talked about a lot of this with the interviewing things of kind of the the reverse of this is the the big long conversations we've had about interviewing people and not being horrible at it and not gatekeeping on silly things. This is kind of an example of that, of that clothing really doesn't have a, like, who cares? I'm in Seattle. And so I'm definitely in a market where showing up in a suit is a negative thing. And that's also kind of silly because who cares what I'm wearing, especially if I took effort into it. Like, look, I put effort into this relationship. Why won't you love me? Um, (laughs) But like, I shaved and everything. <laughs> exactly. Like it's that that's kind of what you're looking for. When, when you talk about like dressing up for an interview, that's really what most people are gatekeeping on is like, how much effort are you putting into yeah. this and how much effort am I putting into this? But that's not really how a lot of people look at it. And that's the, you know, the downside of the world we're living in and why we have a podcast talking about it. Um, and so, but yeah, a lot of industries have a lot of really arbitrary decisions on things. So healthcare suit tie, even while you're changing printer toner, like it's actually a danger to you to wear a tie while working on printers. Cause it can get caught in the little, yeah. the, the gears and the, yeah, like there, there's processes where you tuck the tie in to be safe about it. This is how ridiculous the industries are that you're trying to get into. So clothing's a little bit arbitrary. Um, but Knowing what you're supposed to be wearing can always at least help. The The one that I heard a long time ago was that you should not stand out in an interview with your clothes. Like your clothes should be, oh, nice. And then they should forget about them. So yeah, that's usually the goal. That's kind of the opposite of, you know, we've said like unicorns on your on your resume. Like this would be the opposite of that. <laughs> that's another great example right there. CVs. We've talked about in the past. I think if you want to put freaking unicorns on your CV, mm-hmm. absolutely put some unicorns on there. But... Being in a particular niche, you understand what you can get away with and what you can't. Exactly. Uh, Cal called them filters when we were talking about this Mm -hmm. in CVs, and that is exactly what it is. Understanding how to tune your filter in to that particular niche (laughs) is really beneficial because if you're applying for a design job with Mm -hmm. a really trendy fashion startup or something like that, flaming unicorns might be the thing to get you in the door. Especially if stylish. Yes. (laughs) And having worked in that industry, you would understand that, okay, yes, flaming unicorns are great because this is amazing. Right. But then if you are trying to apply for a job with an accountancy, it's probably not going to go over nearly as well. (laughs) But there's definitely a risk reward curve there of the reward is you'll get a job that fits you better. The risk is that they'll just filter you out because they don't understand you at all. And the more you understand the context that these other people are in, the better you can kind of like measure where that curve is. Yeah, and I do consider it fine-tuning. We've mentioned again in the past that I've actually done A-B testing with my CV to try to figure out exactly (laughs) what was working and what wasn't working for the particular industry I was in. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have done that if I hadn't been staying in one particular industry. If I had figured it all out for manufacturing and then decided, oh, I'm going to go now do design with a design agency, I I would have lost all that value that I gained from that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's definitely, you know, bonuses of switching, bringing, bringing experience from a, a different market or a different industry or a different skill set into a new one is great. Um, when I moved from healthcare from manufacturing, uh, manufacturing is really, really good at supply side and keeping track of where everything is. Like, you know, the entire history of that random 
you know, wiper blade that came on a car. <laughs> um, you, you know where the rubber came from. You know exactly how much it costs. You know if there was any loss involved in it. And that's something that the manufacturing industry is really good at. And the healthcare industry is like a garbage fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the, the differences were really interesting, but I could still talk to them. Like the wastes were really similar. There were different risks, obviously, in healthcare. You have people. So that's why there's a lot more risk. You can't, you can't guess and miss. You, know, you, you can't ever be wrong in healthcare. <laughs> it's better to be wasteful. Yeah, it's better to be wasteful than to be wrong in healthcare. But it's still a lot of the same problems, a lot of the same workflows, a lot of the same processes, a lot of the same supply stuff that you're tracking, including where is person A? What, what room are they in? We have to keep track of that. That's important. <laughs> Absolutely. And so it carries over. And that might actually be an interesting way to uh, turn this around a little bit and say, maybe you shouldn't always niche down. There are absolutely values to transitioning. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned in the last episode that you can start out by niching down in a particular industry. I I used, I think, the example of dentists. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, dentists. I used it in both (laughs) episodes because it was there in my head. I just kept thinking dentists. I've been to the dentist recently, so I don't know why it's on my mind. <laughs> anyway, um, but getting yourself in a position where you are able to work well within that particular niche and then transitioning into another, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, it can provide a huge amount of value. Uh, we talked to a lot of second career devs who are in the, in the midst of transitioning from one particular <laughs> niche to another in a lot of ways. But actually, one of the really great ways that they can transition is to start out, and this is absolutely something that I did, transitioning from being a technical support person and administrator to being a full-time developer, was I started to use my development skills to support manufacturing industries by Mm. adding some value in there. Knowing how manufacturing worked and knowing all the problems that they face allowed me to present solutions that nobody else was thinking about because... I was kind of bridging the gap between two worlds, that this is, highly technical world and this highly non-technical yes. world. And a lot of second start developers can do exactly that. You can start mm-hmm. taking the knowledge that you gained in that first career and then all the new stuff that you're picking up in this new career and merge the two together. And that's a really great way to get your first niche and to get in the front door because you've got some exactly. valuable information there, some knowledge that you wouldn't necessarily have as just a normal, I just finished a course in development and that's like a great example that's how i became a developer i started writing scripts on a help desk i wrote little utilities that did things for me because it was way easier to run this little batch file than it was to walk and you know some person over the phone doing all of these steps and then i exchanged them with you know other help desk people and that slowly you know built into applications that i wrote in like visual basic six which we can (laughs) pretend that era never happened Um, never happened but that was exactly how I became a developer of knowing the industry as someone working in it. And, oh, but I also can code things and I could totally automate that. Yeah. And I, so there was, there, there's definitely the overlap on, you know, combining two skill sets, which might be a better way of phrasing all of this is that you should really just specialize in yourself. What are your best skills? Yeah. Like, what are you good at? Combine those things. How can you apply those to other industries? And like, just run with that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I've, that's exactly what I was trying to do with mine. I started out in manufacturing, not because I was really excited about manufacturing, but because that's where I got a job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I found that all along I kept using these skills that nobody else was using. And that 
at the beginning, I kind of thought like there was something wrong with me because I was doing these weird things that nobody else was doing. <laughs> uh, but in the end, it started to become this thing that everybody came to me for because I was mm-hmm. uh, very similar. I was starting to build little small scripts, but most of it was actually trying to build interfaces between old analog tech that worked really well on the shop floors mm. and all the new shiny windows machines that were running in the offices <laughs> neither of them really wanted to talk so i was building all these little interfaces for them to move stuff from old green screens into the windows world and from the windows world back to the green screens and that became really really valuable for them i was solving a lot of problems that nobody else was solving for them and that's really what got me into development it was all about me being really interested in the tech but stuck in manufacturing mm-hmm. that caused me to kind of build that own, uh, my own little niche there for a long time. Yeah, I feel like I, I kind of naturally found mine. I just like making stuff flow into other stuff, workflow, process management, developing team. Like this is all more or less the same stuff I'm entertained. Um, but yeah, yeah, I really do like, I, I kind of like phrasing it, specializing in yourself. Like that is more or less what you're doing. You you come with all these skills and experiences. You know how to do things. You can see how to apply those to other industries. And when you do apply those to other industries, you're going to learn about them and you're going to learn about the, this new niche and you're going to draw those skills back in. And those are going to be what you can apply to the next step. And so it is helpful to be really good at a few things, though. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't have to just be one thing, but it's helpful to be like a few specific ones that you can point at and like list on an elevator pitch kind of style thing. Absolutely. Very helpful. And actually, that is a slightly different take on what a niche is. And that's where specialization mm-hmm. starts to come in. In general, a niche, when you're targeting just for a product or something like that, is one group of people. So it might be doctors. But when you are building your own niche around you and when you are starting to specialize, it's actually not one single thing. It's all those little unique things that focus you into one particular mm-hmm. thing. So in that case, for me, it was software development plus manufacturing. The two combined actually formed a niche for me because exactly. manufacturing itself is huge. Development is huge, but put the two together. And actually, that's a very, a fairly small subset right. of things that I could have been doing. And that helped me the focus. Intersection. Yeah, it's the <laughs> intersection. And that's exactly what you're trying to do is to find some way that your unique skills can benefit one particular group of people. And that's really all there is to it. It's simple, but it's really, really effective <laughs> because it makes it very easy for you mm-hmm. to understand what their problems are and how you can help them and how you can communicate that value to them. Because that's when it comes down to it, that's the biggest problem usually is <laughs> trying to explain to people, this is what I can do for you. And if you've got that niche, you understand what your value is and what you're trying to fix and provide that part gets really easy. Honestly, I would argue that the biggest problem is probably really crappy gatekeeping in terms of interviewers. But yeah, second problem is actually talking to those interviewers and showing them what you're capable of and competing against all the other people doing similar things. Like, Absolutely. And we can't necessarily fix the gatekeepers, but if you can uh, give yourself all the bonuses you can on the other end, that makes it a lot easier. Strategy, being aware, being prepared, and just being ready to attack that is what you can do right now. Like something you can approach right now as a junior developer, just being prepared. Absolutely. All right. I will put some transcripts up at gettingappsdone.com. Please be sure to check out my website at joshuagram.info and Kel's website at piffner.com. We actually managed to record an episode, I think. It still has red dots. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, In the meantime... If you've got some insight into uh, 
a niche that you've built around yourself to get yourself into a position where you're infinitely employable because that's where we want all of our developers to be, uh, pop on to our Slack channel at gettingappsdone.com slash Slack to uh, share that with us and with our community. We post every Thursday, so we'll be back next week, assuming I manage to hit the record button. Uh, until then, <laughs> thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.